When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. People come in and I feel like, because I have a writing background, I feel like I'm an editor in that chair where people come in with a faulty narrative, it's their first draft, and that story doesn't really work in a lot of ways. It needs an edit. It needs a revision. You know, I think a lot of people feel like they're coming to therapy to get to know themselves, and I feel like a lot of what they're doing is to come to therapy to get to unknow themselves, to let go of those limiting stories that they're carrying around that are holding them back. So some people come in with these stories like, you know, I can't trust anybody, or, you know, I'm a victim, or I'm unlovable, or nothing will ever work out for me. None of those things are true. But because they believe them, and that's the story they walk around the world with, that affects what happens to them. Therapist Uncensored brings you decades of experience with interpersonal psychotherapy, relational neuroscience, modern attachment, and anything else they think will be helpful in healing humans. Now, here are your co-hosts, Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. Hey everybody, this is Sue Marriott. Welcome back to Therapist Uncensored. Today, we're super excited to bring you our conversation with Lori Gottlieb, author of the New York Times bestseller, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. And part of what we're super psyched about is that this is the book that I frequently recommend to patients and other folks. It's particularly good for those that aren't super therapy savvy. Actually, it's good for both, because if you're therapy savvy, you're going to totally get into it and learn a ton. But in our conversation, we were really able to dig into and get some good gems about sort of the reality of therapy and how it works and all of those good things. So that's very exciting. So who is Lori Gottlieb? Her bio is as long as my arm. It's fantastic. But here's what you really need to know. And all of this, of course, will be linked in the show notes. But in addition to being, I think, an incredible clinician, she is also prolific in her writing. She writes for the Atlantic's weekly Dear Therapist advice column. And she is co-host of the popular Dear Therapist podcast, which was produced by Katie Couric. I'd really recommend you checking that out. She contributes regularly to the New York Times and tons and tons and tons of other publications. In 2019, her TED Talk was one of the 10 most watched TED Talks of that year. So it is very popular, but it's also very good. She's been on so much media, tons of media, and you will see why. She's been on the Today Show, CBS, This Morning, CNN, NPR's Fresh Air, so many things. You'll get a feel for that because to me, it's all about accessibility. She makes it easy to understand and attractive to lean into, which is great. She represents therapy and therapists very well. Okay, real quick, I want to do a shout out to the patrons. We have an incredible online community of like-minded, what we call them as neuro nerds, that really like to dig into this material of the science of relationships and attachment and neuroscience of the mind. So if you would like to join us, it's at patreon.com backslash therapist uncensored. It's a welcoming community. You know, we offer peer reading groups and study groups. And I actually just brought David Elliott in and he was able to do a direct demo of ideal parent figure for 
one of the study groups. So there's all kinds of exciting things happening there. So we really encourage you to sign up at patreon.com backslash therapist uncensored. And it keeps us ad free. And I don't know about you, but I really like just being able to go right through the podcast and not have to have it be interrupted or have to fast forward or all those things that happen with ads. So thank you to the patrons and uh, big shout out there. Now we're going to jump in and what Lori is talking about at the very beginning there is what it's like to be a public figure, but also an acting and practicing therapist. Okay, hope you enjoy. It's so interesting because I think there's this paradox that the entire book kind of reflects. You know, in the book, I follow four patients as their therapist, and then I'm the fifth patient, and I go to my own therapist. And so you see me as clinician, and you see me as patient. And I think there's this dilemma. People want their therapist to be human, but they don't necessarily want to see their humanity. And, (laughs) you know, I mean, I think they see our humanity in the ways in which we interact with them. But for example, you know, a friend of mine, she and her husband were trying to have a baby and she was in a Starbucks when she got a call from her physician saying that the pregnancy wasn't viable and she burst into tears and a patient happened to walk in, saw her crying and left and never came back to therapy. So I think there's that wanting our therapists to be real people, but also kind of not wanting to face the reality of that. So in the book, It's funny because when I wrote, maybe you should talk to someone, it wasn't the book I was supposed to write. I was supposed to be writing a book, ironically, about happiness, (laughs) which is making me depressed and miserable. And so when I canceled that book and I decided I wanted to bring people into the therapy room, a lot of people said, well, no one's going to read that book. And, you know, it's been on the New York Times list for... And it's being made um, into a series. Into a TV series too. Yeah. But, you know, it's been a bestseller for a year and and all of that. And so what's interesting is because I thought so few people would read it, I didn't hold back at all in terms of what I revealed about myself. And it wasn't until, you know, the book started getting passed around pre-publication that I thought, oh God, you know, maybe I should clean myself up a little bit. (laughs) And there's nothing that I wrote in there that I feel uncomfortable about. It's just, again, that kind of double standard of a patient could reveal this, but the person treating the patient can't reveal this. And I really wanted to kind of break that wall. Not that I would do that in the therapy room. In the therapy room, it's very much about the interaction with the patient and what they're bringing into the room. But I think as a writer, I wanted to break that wall for people. Well, that's for sure the appeal is people really getting a peek. And, you know, the way I think of it is they want us to be a little crazy, like know what that's like, but not super crazy. You know what I mean? Like there's the right level of life experience, I think, you know. Well, it's it's funny that you use the word crazy because I think that in the media, and, you know, you mentioned the TV series of the book, I think therapists have been portrayed as either one of two things. One is kind of no personality. They don't really say much. They're like a brick wall. And I think the other trope is the therapist who's really competent in the office, but a hot mess, a train wreck outside of the office. And I think neither of those really reflects what therapists are like. You know, there are a few bad apples in any profession, but I think for the most part, we're the same as our patients in a lot of ways. I say at the very beginning of the book that my most significant credential is that I'm a card-carrying member of the human race. And so, I don't think it's about that we're crazy or that we're as crazy as our patients because I don't think our patients are crazy. I think we're just human. I think we're as human as our patients. And I think that if anything, that should be comforting to people. Absolutely. You know, we talk a lot on this podcast about attachment and changing narratives, our unconscious internal working models. 
And I know that you are a storyteller with your history. And then with, you're just so good at keeping us interested and keeping the story. But I think some of your message, if I understand correctly from the book, is that we are unreliable narrators, as you've said, and we can't really trust ourselves. And so to even begin to look at that we are actually, we're using a model, a story, basically, that a lot of times we're not even aware that we're using. Yeah, I did a TED Talk about this recently, about how if we can change our stories, we can really significantly change our lives because what happens is we are all unreliable narrators because we see the world through our lens. And often what happens is the parts that we don't see are the parts that are going to help us to learn the most about what isn't working in our lives. And so people come in and I feel like, because I have a writing background, I feel like I'm an editor in that chair where people come in with a faulty narrative, it's their first draft, and that story doesn't really work in a lot of ways. It needs an edit, it needs a revision. You know, I think a lot of people feel like they're coming to therapy to get to know themselves. And I feel like a lot of what they're doing is to come to therapy to get to unknow themselves, to let go of those limiting stories that they're carrying around that are holding them back. So some people come in with these stories like, you know, I can't trust anybody, or, you know, I'm a victim, or I'm unlovable, or nothing will ever work out for me. None of those things are true. But because they believe them, and that's the story they walk around the world with, that affects what happens to them. So it's almost like they make the story come true because of a belief that they have. And you mentioned your TED Talk. Just for those of you who haven't seen it yet, it is one of the most watched TED Talks this year. It's really fantastic. And it is right about this around our unconscious stories. So if we don't know that we're looking through a lens that might be manufactured, how do we come to know that? What's your approach? I think that's what therapy can do for people. And a lot of people say, well, why can't I just talk to my friends? <laughs> and in the book, I talk about the difference between idiot compassion and wise compassion, where idiot compassion is what our friends do. You know, we say, you know, this happened at work and my boss did this, or this is what my parent did or my partner did. And we say, yeah, you're right. They were wrong. That's terrible. And so that's idiot compassion. We feel like we're being supportive, but we're just supporting their faulty narrative. And I don't mean that what they're saying isn't true. What I mean is that what they're saying is one version of the story and that there are other pieces of the story that are really important that they're not including, depending on sort of how they tell the story, who the characters are, what their roles are, what they emphasize, what they minimize, what they leave out completely. And so people do that, I think, when they come to therapy too. They tell a story in a particular way so that we will validate their version of the story. Wise compassion is the opposite of idiot compassion. Wise compassion is what a therapist will do. And they will hold up a mirror to you to help you to see something about yourself, to help you see yourself in a way that you haven't been willing or able to do. Because we all have blind spots. And our friends are not necessarily going to point those out to us, even though your friends might think to themselves like, wow, this has happened to my friend three times before, right? You know, it's like if a fight breaks out in every bar you're going to, maybe it's you. But we don't say that to our friends. We're afraid to sometimes. And I think a therapist can do it in a way because of our training and the nature of the relationship where we can help them to see it over time. We might not say that right away. We might kind of just plant some seeds so that they start to be able to open to the possibility that maybe there's more to the story. And then we start filling in the gaps. 
And, you know, that's definitely part of the appeal of the book is that you're not just pointing outward. You can kind of feel yourself as you're reading, walking into your own unconscious and the things that you're not aware of. And that was the other thing on your, you also write for the Atlantic, a column. And one of the things I really respect about how you're doing that is, you know, that the patient is the person writing in, not who they're writing about. I don't know that you would say it that way, but basically that you're, you're delivering, and that's not just reading between the lines. You know, you're not just helping to solve that one problem. You're really beginning to try to open up and help them see, you know, how they presented the story on the paper is part of the issue, I think. Is that kind of the philosophy? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The difference between what I do in the Dear Therapist column and what I do in the office is that I can ask follow-up questions in the office. I have so much more opportunity to flesh out that story. With a letter, I'm just getting that one version of the story. And it's happened where I've gotten two people involved in the same story writing in to the column. And I notice there are some similarities, but they seem very different otherwise. And I realize, wait a minute, these are the two people involved in this story writing to me about the same dilemma, unbeknownst to the other person. And it's interesting to see how different their versions of what's happening look like. So in the column, I'm not really giving prescriptive advice, just like in my office, I won't give prescriptive advice. I'm really helping people to think about their issue in a way that will help them to come to figure out what is best for them. Because I want to help them in the long term, not just with this one problem. And you think right. that if they can, you know, it's not like, here's what you should say to your mother-in-law, because the next time something happens, they're going to say, well, what do I say now? So I want them to understand the bigger picture. So then they go into that place of knowing that we all have and they know how to access that. And then when lots of different things go on, they say, oh, okay, I can go to that place of knowing. And now I understand more. I see more. And now I understand that I can have a different response. So from your perspective, and even like looking at all those letters coming in, it feels like that you have a really unique perspective of humanity and the things that people struggle with and the way they frame it, including like going on talking to many, many people about your book. I'm just curious, like from that perspective of kind of pulling back, what do you notice or what surprised you in any themes that you're seeing or questions that you're getting, you know, or where people get hung up? Yeah. It's interesting because I feel like when you get that many letters, it's sort of like a taxonomy of people's problems. You can categorize them. Exactly. You know, and there are age-old problems that everybody has that people have had from time immemorial. And then there are very modern kinds of problems. Like what happens when people ghost you? Uh, you know, uh, what happens when, you know, you're trying to conduct, relate, especially for younger people, trying to conduct relationships in this world of apps, you know, what about loneliness and connection, which I think looks different than maybe it used to, not that loneliness and disconnection weren't problems always, but the ways that the modern world affects our sense of connection, our sense of community is different. Mostly what I, I feel like I'm seeing are people having trouble kind of going in circles and ending up in the same place over and over again and not being able to see that maybe they have a role in the story that's different from the role that they think they have. So a lot of people feel trapped. They feel like, here's my situation. I don't know what to do. Help me. Uh, it's and either it has, this or this. Right. And what they don't realize is how much agency they have over their own lives. It's like that scene in the book when my therapist says to me, you remind me of a cartoon and it's of a prisoner shaking the bars, desperately trying to get out. But on the right and the left, the bars are open. So 
I feel like for all of us, myself included, sometimes the bars are open. There's no bars that you can just walk around. You're not actually in jail, but we feel like we're trapped. We feel like there's no way out. We feel like someone or something in the external world is leaving us with no choice. And that's just not true. We, we have so much choice. And I'm not saying that there aren't difficult people out there. When I was training, a supervisor said, before diagnosing someone with depression, make sure they aren't surrounded by assholes, right? So, <laughs> you know, of course there are difficult people. So I'm not discounting any of that. But I'm saying we do have a choice in terms of how we respond. Who do we want to surround ourselves with? Who do we have to surround ourselves with? And how do we respond to those people? My favorite scene in the book related to your relationship with your therapist was him getting up and dancing. And I think about like when we break role a little bit where that we're vulnerable in the session, you know, our heart rates go up just a little bit. It feels like those are the moments that can actually really create change because the experience is so different. I just really love that, that him standing up and dancing. That's so unusual. Yeah, I mean, I think that people imagine that therapy is you go in and you're talking and you download the problem of the week and then you leave and then you come back and nothing really happens in between. But I think really effective therapy is when you're having this rich human connection in the room. You're having an experience. It's not so much about the content. It's about what happens when you are talking about what you're talking about and how you bring what you learn about yourself from that experience out into your relationships in the world. You know, a lot of people, we say insight is the booby prize of therapy because you can have all the insight in the world, but if you don't make changes out in the world, the insight is useless. So a lot of people will say, oh, that's really interesting while they're in your office and then they leave and then they come back the next week and they say, oh, so I got into that fight with my spouse again and I understood exactly why that happened. And I'll say, well, did you do something different? They'll say, well, no, but I understand why it happened. Okay, well, that's a good first step. But you really have to make changes. Part of the work is done in the therapy office, but the majority of the work is done outside of the therapy office between sessions. And how are you taking what happened in the therapy office out there with you? So for me, because I was a writer before I later in life became a therapist, I suppose I'm used to that. I think where it feels a little bit more tricky is in the therapy office. So outside of the therapy office, I feel like, you know, I, I shared what I shared for a reason. Also, I think when you write about yourself, people don't realize that you're very intentional about what you share. You know, I'm sharing something that is in the service of the story that I'm telling and is in the service of the themes in the book, but it's not like I just opened up my computer and wrote down every single thing about yeah, it's my not, life. It's not your journal. <laughs> right. It's not my journal. And so you're a writer and you're crafting a story and it's a true story. But like we were saying earlier about narration, you're choosing to share what's relevant to the story. So yes, I was willing to go to places that maybe aren't the most flattering portraits of me, but that's because it was in the service of a story. But no, people don't know the entirety of my life because I wrote something that was a memoir. But I think that where it feels a little bit different is with my patients. You know, when I wrote the book, it came out last April, so a year ago. And I didn't tell people that I'd written a book because it's not relevant to <laughs> the work that their, I do. Their therapy, right. Right. And so I, I said, I'm going to be out of town on such and such dates because I was going to launch the book. And here's Susan call for me and I'll see you back on this date. 
And when I went to go launch it, you know, got very big very quickly. And so it was kind of everywhere. And I know that certain people that I see consume the media where it was very prominent. And so when I came back, some people came in and they sat on my couch and they said, so I read your book. Like that was the first thing they said when I came back and I had never said anything about it. And we had these really beautiful conversations, not so much about me because they'd already read about me now in the book, but more about their relationship with me, that it gave them permission. And I always felt like I created a space for people to talk about our relationship because I feel like that's very important in the work that we do. But I think this was an extra layer of, now I really have permission. Now I understand what that's like because they were reading the stories of my other patients and, and me and my own therapy and my feeling like, you know, wondering all those things that we wonder about our therapist. Like, am I boring my therapist or does my therapist like me? Or is my therapist writing about me? <laughs> well, you know, I don't, I don't write about people that I'm currently seeing. So I don't think, although I did have an interesting experience. One person said, I was reading your book and I was going through it and I kept thinking I was going to be in it. And when I got to the end and I wasn't, I was so disappointed. <laughs> and I thought, was my story not interesting enough? <laughs> so that was it. That was a reaction I hadn't been expecting. But, so, but oh, I do wow. think that we had these conversations about us, but also the conversations when they had read the book were mostly about them. It was about what they learned about themselves from reading the book. They, even though they're in therapy with me, they learn so much because we see ourselves in other people's stories. And I think every reader who reads the book learns so much about themselves because they say, I see myself in this person, even though that person looks very different on the surface from them. Absolutely. And again, I think that's the gift is that you're really, if you haven't read the book yet, this is, you know, it's, it's particularly good for people with a more avoidant style. They're a little bit more left brain, harder to get close to in a way, not the ones that necessarily hook in because they're already talking about your relationship and really able to be in the room. But, you know, following some of the stories where that people were having difficulty that was fantastic. And I feel like a lot of people that are in therapy are giving this book to their spouses <laughs> who have not been interested in therapy. So I really, I so appreciate that. It feels like you're opening the door for so many people to have a path and to even know what to do with it because it's, there's so much of the, what are we doing here? You know, especially in group and, therapy. Yeah. Well, also just to show what therapy is and also what it isn't, because I think that so many people think of therapy as something where you go in, you talk about your childhood ad nauseum and you never leave. And you know, like, what is it? Like, what's the point? It's very amorphous. There's no, and that's not what therapy is like at all. And it's, it's very much, if anything, sort of focused on the present in the sense of, yes, the past comes up, but only in the service of understanding how the past is still informing the present. And then how can you change the present so that you can have a better future? And so it's very different from, I think, what a lot of people think of it. Like blaming our mothers like, or something. Right, right. It's not. And it's just really about a process of self-understanding. I almost feel like therapy is like getting a really good second opinion about your life. That's really nicely said, yeah. And honest, not distorted in some way. Right. But hopefully a kind of a clean mirror of this is what I see. And a compassionate mirror, right? Yeah. So it's like, I think so many people are afraid because they feel like, well, I don't know what I'm going to find, or I don't know if I'm going to like what I see. And I think what happens is people are so much happier with themselves. They're so much happier with who they are. They navigate through their relationships so much more smoothly. They take risks. They expand their world. Their world becomes so much more expansive. I think it's a transformative experience for people who are there for the right reasons. 
Absolutely. And any of you that are in therapy, I hope that you're able to use this to really deepen your experience, to see your therapist as more three-dimensional and be able to be curious even because what you're curious about becomes, again, it all goes back to learning about yourself. And this is kind of having permission to be disappointed, be angry, be upset, all the things that happen in real life in the room. If I'm allowed to give feedback, so are you. You know, so I really invite that. And I think that this book really, really does. I, I imagine that you've just touched so many lives. And and with the series, I think there's an ABC series being developed on yeah. this. Uh, so is it going to be the book exactly, or kind of a? No, it's going to be it's going to be inspired by the book. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, very excited about that. I really so appreciate you spending time with us and I really encourage everybody links are going to be in the show notes can you tell everybody how to reach you sure they can go to my website which is lauriegottlieb.com they can find my book on Amazon or an independent bookstore wherever books are sold it's called maybe you should talk to someone they can find me on Twitter at lauriegottlieb1 on Instagram at lauriegottlieb underscore author I'm also on Facebook they can write to my dear therapist column at the Atlantic I have a new podcast coming out that Katie Kurt's producing for iHeartRadio. It's called Dear Therapists, plural. And if they want to submit letters to that, they can write to Lori and Guy at iHeartMedia.com. Oh, that's great. And Dear Therapists, so it's directed to therapists or is it? It's two. Just- it's me and Guy Winch. And we kind of do what we do. He's the advice columnist for TED and I'm the advice columnist for The Atlantic. And we kind of do what we do, but we get to talk to the person. And then we consult. So I think that a lot of people are curious about, well, how do therapists really think about these problems? And so you get to hear us consulting with each other about what the issue is and then how we go back to the letter writer and talk to the letter writer about the problem. And then I think the especially fun thing, because we don't get to do this in our columns, is sometimes we as the columnist will hear how the advice worked out because people will write to us and tell us but the reader never finds out. And so in the podcast, we bring the person back on to tell us how the advice went and what they learned from it. And, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I think you learn a lot either way. That sounds so fantastic and valuable. And you will find all of these linked in our show notes and we're going to follow you. One thing that we haven't mentioned is you also write for the New York Times I found some fantastic articles in there. They're very accessible, so people can understand it. But, you know, it's deeper than your Reader's Digest, you know, just do this and just do this, do this. So I think it hits a really good note of both and. It has depth, but it's also accessible. Well, thank you. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. My uh, pleasure. I really appreciate the conversation. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson. 